Welcome back to campus, students. Classes are in session at our proverbial College of Superstitions, a Spotify original from Parkast. As always, I'm your Dean of Students, Alastair Murden. It's time to crack open those books, take your caffeine pills, and get ready for an all-night cram session. Because today, we've got a very peculiar belief to keep our fears at bay. Most of the time, superstitions are open to the general public. Anyone can step on a crack. Anyone can knock on wood or cross their fingers behind their back. But today's superstition is a bit more exclusive, as it belongs to students at Murray State University. The campus is located in Western Kentucky, and one of its most distinctive landmarks is a tree. But it's not just any tree. It's the shoe tree, named for the shoes nailed to its trunk. See, every year, a handful of students take part in a quirky tradition, one that the professor of today's short story forgot to study. You can find episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Coming up, an arborist's marriage is put to the test by a tree. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. Jamila was about to doze off when she saw a blue and gold sign by the side of the road. It read, Welcome to Murray State University, home of the racers. After a multi-day drive, her and her wife Erin were finally close to their new home. Jamila didn't know how to feel about it. She rolled down the passenger side window, suddenly blasted by the humid Kentucky air. It was sticky and damp, clinging to her face and braids. It was a strange sensation to Jamila, who had never lived outside the arid desert of Arizona. Perhaps sensing Jamila's apprehension, Erin pulled the car to the side of the road and stopped. You sure you're okay with this? She asked. Jamila looked at Erin. Her wife's blue eyes and blonde curls glowed in the afternoon sun, as if unaffected by the air. Yeah, we've made it this far. Everything's going to be okay. She smiled and said they should keep driving. Maybe she wasn't certain about Kentucky yet, but this move was important to Erin and to their marriage. The fall before, at the University of Arizona, everything had been perfect. 
Jamila had become the youngest tenured professor of agriculture in school history. She and Erin had married amongst the Red Rocks of Sedona and had a storybook marriage. They'd been loving, supportive, and completely in sync with each other until spring semester. At first, Erin had suspected Jamila was having an affair. She'd cited Jamila's late nights at work and the mysterious scratches on her neck and back. But Jamila had eventually admitted the truth. She hadn't been unfaithful, at least not with a pretty young co-ed. She had, however, developed a peculiar relationship with cacti. It had begun one cold desert night. Jamila had been walking home when she heard a cactus whisper on the side of the road, help me. It looked like it had been damaged by a fire, so Jamila rescued it by repairing its roots. And soon, more began talking to her. They called to her from the sides of the roads, from yards and from the desert. Mainly, they asked her for help. Some had been mistreated by people, others were being eaten by animals. Jamila moved them out of harm's way or built protective enclosures. Her office overflowed with saguaros, choyas, and prickly pears. The scratches were from the spines. Jamila didn't know how to explain what she was hearing, and Erin didn't understand it. Even with the explanation, she still didn't believe Jamila. It all seemed too far-fetched. Jamila agreed to marriage counseling and to meeting with a psychologist. The doctors concluded that Jamila might be overworked and experiencing auditory hallucinations. But even after taking a break from work, the symptoms didn't go away. So Erin proposed an alternative, moving away from Arizona and the succulents. The smaller, quaint campus of Murray State in Kentucky had seemed like a good fit. Not only was it Erin's alma mater, it was over 1,500 miles from the cacti. It was a great place to start over. After unpacking her essentials, Erin gave Jamila a tour of campus, pointing out all her favorite landmarks. There was the historic quad, where she used to throw frisbees with her classmates. Lovett Auditorium, where she performed a duet in the all-campus sing. And, of course, Stewart Stadium, where she had watched countless racer football games. Then, Erin showed Jamila her office. She squeezed Jamila's hands as if filled with love. Forget Arizona. This is our new home. You're gonna do great. We're gonna do great. Jamila nodded. Having to leave her cacti was bittersweet, but she knew this was an important step, not only for her mental health, but also for their relationship. As Jamila leaned in to kiss Erin, she was startled by a frantic yell. Excuse me, y'all, is one of you Professor Watkins? Jamila turned to see a young man with a bright blue Murray State t-shirt rush toward them. Jamila raised her hand. I'm Professor Watkins. He doubled over, wheezing and panting. Oh, thank God, he said. He introduced himself as Harrison, her TA, and then explained that one of the trees in the Arboretum had just been hit by a tractor. You might be the only one that can save it. Erin sighed. 
I guess you have to go then. But tonight, I was hoping... Jamila squeezed Erin's hand. Don't worry, there are no cacti here. I'll be home for dinner. Jamila kissed Erin goodbye and hurried after Harrison. He led her to the Murray State Arboretum, a lush park filled with plants native to Kentucky. Jamila had never seen so many beautiful trees. There were scarlet oaks and yellow buckeyes, honey locusts and persimmons, sweet gums and magnolias. She studied them, of course, but had never seen them in person. She wanted to stop and examine each one, spend hours touching their bark and stroking the soft leaves. But now was not the time. It was late afternoon. She had one job to do, and then she'd have to get home. Harrison pointed to a tree that looked like it had seen better days. A flowering dogwood. Jamila gasped. Cornus, Florida were notoriously fragile. Any bruise or abrasion could fester like botanical gangrene. She opened her toolkit of pruning shears, epoxy, and foil tape and went to work. Like a surgeon, she trimmed away abrasions, mended the cuts and bruises, and sealed the holes, preventing insects from eating the sap. She even crafted a makeshift crutch to prop a sagging limb. It was just a poor tree, defenseless, soft, sensitive. And when she was done, she pressed her head against the trunk as if nuzzling it. It made her feel connected to the plant, the living organism inside. She swore she could hear the fluids pumping through its fibrous tissues, its breath, its heartbeat, its voice. Professor, are you okay? Jamila turned. She'd forgotten that Harrison was standing nearby. She stood up and brushed herself off. Oh, yeah, I just had to rest my neck for a moment. Harrison put his hand on her shoulder. Well, why don't you get some rest at home? I'll see you in class. She said goodbye, then gave herself a moment to admire the arboretum. It was so green and so wondrous. She wandered through the trees, touching their firm bark. She admired the leaves most of all, the purple highlights from the setting sun. Sunset. Oh no! Jamila suddenly realized that she had been working in the Arboretum for hours. She had lost track of time. She glanced at her phone. There were ten missed calls from Erin. She sprinted to the parking lot, texting Erin that she was on her way. But just before she reached her car, something caught her eye. In the quad nearest the parking lot, there was a strange-looking lone tree. It had the profile of a majestic hickory, but its limbs were barren and its trunk was covered in something she couldn't quite make out at a distance. Something that looked like scars. More than anything, Jamila wanted to stop and take a look, but she knew she couldn't. She was already late enough for dinner. She mustered every bit of willpower she had to resist and got in her car. It was a perfect evening. A candlelit dinner, dessert on the screened porch, love made in the bedroom of their new home. But even as Jamila told Erin she wanted to do that every night, she was thinking about the tree. So after her first lecture, she strolled back to the quad, right in front of Pogue Library. 
hunched in front of the brick building, was a tree unlike any other she had ever seen, but it was more horrifying than she expected. The trunk wasn't infected by a blight or burls. It wasn't scars or abrasions. It was shoes. All sorts of shoes nailed to the trunk. There were running shoes and high heels, sandals and espadrilles. Some were brand new, but many were so old they were covered in mold and gunk. Jamila recoiled at the smell. She couldn't believe it. What had they done to this tree? Was it a college prank? Maybe frat boys thought it would be funny, like tossing a pair of shoes over a power line. Or perhaps it was a modern art installation gone awry. Regardless of the shoe's origin, the sight of the vandalized tree made Jamila shiver. An ache formed in the pit of her stomach. She knew this majestic beast was suffering. She could only hope it was still alive. But she knew she couldn't get too attached. It was just a tree, just her job. She'd assess the damage, make a plan, then go home to her wife. So she peeled back a crusty leather loafer and found a small patch of bark. It looked healthy-ish, at least healthy enough to wait until tomorrow. She leaned in and touched it, but as she did, a voice rang out like the crack of thunder. Help me. Coming up, Jamila must decide between rescuing a tree or her relationship. I'm Sarah Turney, host of Disappearances, a Spotify original from Parcast. In 2020, I used social media to help bring justice to my sister Alyssa's nearly two decades-long disappearance. Now, I'm exploring the many reasons people disappear and finding that the truth may be even harder to locate than the person. Who forced a famed explorer to lose his way? What did a missing Hollywood starlet leave behind? And how could the heiress to a Chicago candy fortune just vanish? Every Thursday on Disappearances, join me for a deeper look into history's most gripping missing persons cases. Tracking timelines, analyzing clues, and piecing together as many answers as possible to find the actual truth. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Disappearances. Listen free only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. Jamila jumped back from the shoe-encrusted tree, her breath rapid. It had just spoken to her, saying, help me, just like the cacti. But she wasn't overworked here, not yet. No, no, please, no, this can't be happening. She placed her ear to the trunk again, just to check. But this time, it was silent. Oh, thank goodness. She'd deal with the tree tomorrow. That evening, Jamila and Erin walked into downtown Murray to eat. They sat in a quaint cafe, ordered a bottle of sparkling rosé, and spoke about their days. Jamila told her about class, how Harrison had complimented her saving of the other tree. She didn't, however, tell Erin about the shoe tree and its plea. 
Jamila really tried to ignore the tree, but she couldn't stop thinking about it, even as Erin poured her more wine. She remembered the deep, booming voice and how it resonated through her body. She wondered if she could fix it before it was too late. It would be a difficult project. She had never seen a plant so abused before. As she was daydreaming, she heard Erin's voice. Jamila? Jamila, are you listening to me? Jamila snapped out of it and smiled. Of course I was listening. You were saying something about... What was it again? Erin shook her head sadly. It's happening again, isn't it? Jamila reached across the table and cradled Erin's hand in hers. Don't worry, everything's fine. It's not like before. I was just thinking about how much I love it here. The air is so different. I think it's the honeysuckle. But Jamila's thoughts about the tree never left. Even as they got home and made love again, and even as they laid in bed, she kept trying to assure herself that trees didn't talk to her, so there was nothing to worry about, nothing at all. Eventually, her mind calmed down, and she drifted off to sleep. But Jamila's slumber didn't last long. Just after midnight, she woke with a jolt. Jamila pulled the covers over her head, hoping it was just the wind or something. Help me. Jamila covered her face with her hands, frustrated and afraid. How could this be happening again? She looked at Erin, sleeping peacefully in the bed. Why couldn't she be more like her? Erin never heard strange voices. Me. But on the third time, she knew she had to go. In minutes, she was speeding across town to campus. She parked, grabbed her tools, then ran to the tree covered in shoes. In the moonlight, it was even more horrifying. The pale light reflected on its brittle, bare branches. The shoes looked like prison bars, and the smell of rot was even worse in the still night air. Jamila shuddered. The whole thing gave her the creeps. Me. She started removing the shoes one by one, careful not to nick the bark. It felt like she was cutting away cancerous tumors. Some popped off easily, others crumbled in her hands. And then there were the tough ones, attached with multiple nails. It was painstaking work. Finally, when all of the shoes were removed, she sealed the holes. With the shoes gone, the tree seemed different. It wasn't so hunched and pitiful. Jamila swore the branches stretched higher in the air, standing a little taller. And best of all, the voice had stopped. As she admired it, Jamila saw dawn creeping over the university buildings. She realized she had been out all night, just like in Arizona. She hoped Erin was still asleep in bed, but there was little time to spare. Jamila swept the shoes into trash bags, dragged them into a storage closet in her office, and drove home as fast as she could. As she turned onto her street, 
something seemed wrong. First, it was the red and blue lights reflecting off her neighbor's windows. Then, it was the ambulance parked in front of her house. Finally, it was Erin, standing outside with two paramedics and a woman in a white coat. Jamila pulled into the driveway and jumped out. Erin, what's going on? Erin broke down, crying. It's happening again, isn't it? Jamila shook her head. You don't understand. It's different now. It was just one tree. It needed me. Erin reached out her hand. Please, Jamila. These people are here to help you. There's a psychiatric hospital here in town. The woman in the white coat held out her hand. Jamila turned and ran. She didn't know where to go, but she couldn't stay there, nor could she be caught. So she jumped fences into backyards and took side streets to campus, searching for any place she could sleep. Then it came to her. She knew one place she could stay for the night. Her office. She snuck into the agriculture building and curled up under her desk. There was nothing she could do now. She hadn't slept all night. She wasn't thinking clearly. If she could close her eyes for an hour or two, she would go home and explain everything to Erin. It would all be fine. A short time later, Jamila woke to the sound of yelling outside. She peeled herself from the floor and looked out the office window. It was light outside, complete daytime. Students were marching through campus, chanting. As she tried to make sense of it, there was a knock on her door. Jamila crawled out from under the desk, smoothing her hair so it didn't look slept in. It was Harrison. Professor, I won't be at class today, he said. Jamila looked at him, confused. What's going on? Harrison explained that last night, someone destroyed the school's lucky shoe tree. He and a bunch of other students were going to protest. Jamila's eyes opened wide. The shoe tree! She knew that monstrosity must have had a name, but she couldn't let Harrison know she was the one who had dismantled it. She cocked her head curiously. What's the shoe tree? Harrison explained that the shoe tree had been a Murray State tradition forever, like even before the 1990s. Every year, students and alumni nailed shoes to the tree for good luck in their relationships. Jamila couldn't hold back. Let me get this straight. You're destroying a tree for a silly superstition? Harrison held up his hands as if being accused directly. Look, you know I'm the first one to defend trees, but this is a beloved tradition. Jamila shook her head in disappointment. They're living things, and you're killing them for what? Luck? Harrison shrugged. It sounds ridiculous, but my parents nailed shoes to one of the earlier trees, and they say it helped them avoid divorce. Think of the tree as the university's humble servant. Tears welled in Jamila's eyes. She wanted someone to help the tree, but even if she kept the shoes hidden from the students, they'd just nail new ones. She had to destroy the shoes. 
It was only a matter of time until the students found them, but if she could permanently dispose of them, she might at least buy herself some time or avoid getting suspended. She pulled the trash bags out of the storage closet and dragged them to her car, telling anyone she saw that she was bringing home leaf samples. Then she drove home, planning on burying them in her backyard. She'd planned to simply sneak through the driveway to avoid Erin, but when she got to their house, she learned she didn't have to sneak around at all. Erin wasn't home. Neither were any of her belongings. It looked like she had packed and left. Jamila sank to the floor. This was not how things were supposed to go. She and Erin had been so perfect together. How was Jamila supposed to know that cacti, and now trees, would come between them? She kicked the bag of shoes, then kicked it again and again, so many times that she punctured a hole and shoes she recognized rolled out. One was a hiking boot and the other a fancy Italian leather flat. Stenciled on the side were the initials J plus E forever. They were hers and Erin's. It had been so dark the previous night, she must have missed them. But how did they end up on the tree? Then it dawned on her. As an alumna of Murray State, Erin would have known about the legend of the shoe tree. She must have added theirs to the collection when they arrived, hoping for luck. The shoes were proof that Erin believed in her, believed in them. But Jamila had broken that trust once again. If Jamila could find a way to repair the tree and keep the shoes intact, she might be able to salvage the relationship. She came up with an idea. Back at campus, a crowd of students had congregated around the tree. They were chanting, Bring back the shoes! Bring back the shoes! Believing that the university itself had taken them away. Jamila found Harrison on the far side of the group and pulled him aside. I need your help, she whispered. Jamila brought Harrison to the Arboretum's maintenance shed. Jamila showed him photos of the wooden barriers she'd used to construct around cacti in Arizona to protect them from animals. We need something like this, but bigger, she said. Together, they dragged over a large sheet of plywood and started working, hammering and sawing. When Jamila's masterpiece was ready, she and Harrison loaded it onto a golf cart with a cargo bed and hauled it across campus. Before they delivered it to the shoe tree, Jamila had one more stop to make. At her car, she popped the trunk and beckoned Harrison to help her. Harrison gasped, staring at the two heavy trash bags. Are these what I think they are? Jamila nodded reluctantly. I'll explain later. Let's just get them back to the tree. When they arrived back at the protest, the crowd had nearly doubled in size. There were even several news reporters and cameras. Jamila assured Harrison not to worry about them. She would take the blame. They lugged the heavy wooden pieces through the mob and assembled them around the tree trunk. It was a marvel of arboriculture. A cylindrical tube of wood and scaffolding that encircled the tree like a suit of armor. But when they began reattaching the shoes, 
The crowd booed. Many shouted, telling others that they'd found the culprit. One person spat at Harrison. Some even threatened Jamila. But in spite of the looming unrest, Jamila continued undeterred. She reassembled the shoes piece by piece, even giving the rotted ones a second life with antifungal solution and polyurethane. But Jamila left two shoes until the very end, Erin's and hers. She held the hiking boot and Italian flat in her hand and remembered happier days. Please let this work, she whispered. Then she nailed them to the wood. With the last two in place, the tree looked almost identical to before, just a little thicker around the trunk. She faced the crowd, meeting their angry scowls and profanities with a look of contrition. She gestured for them to quiet down. She wanted to speak. Jamila swallowed the lump in her throat. I'm sorry for ruining your shoe tree, she began. She explained that she'd seen a tree in danger and rushed to help it without thinking of the consequences. For years, I've placed the well-being of plants ahead of people, to those I've hurt, and especially my wife Erin, I'm sincerely sorry. She explained that now the shoes and the trees could coexist. Instead of watching the tree die soon, generations of Murray State students could enjoy the practice of nailing their shoes around it. Every few years, Jamila would have to expand the exoskeleton to accommodate the tree's growth and more shoes. When Jamila concluded her speech, the mob was silent. Jamila braced for them to hurl more insults or worse. Instead, they erupted in a cheer. Some of them even thanked Jamila and patted her on the back. A few admitted that they'd always felt bad for the shoe tree, but they didn't know what to do. One of the news reporters stepped over and asked Jamila if this meant she believed in the lucky shoe tree. Jamila grinned. She wasn't sure, but she hoped it worked. Just then, she heard a familiar voice behind her. I think it already did. Jamila turned to see Erin push through the edge of the crowd. An enormous smile spread across Jamila's face. She jumped in Erin's arms. How did you know I was here? She asked. Erin hugged her tightly. I saw you on the news. Jamila looked around nervously, expecting to see the paramedics and doctor. Erin shook her head. They're not here. I heard what you said. We have work to do, but we can do it together. I know how much plants mean to you. Jamila nodded. I promise they won't come between us anymore. As Jamila and Erin admired the new shoe tree, Jamila heard the voice again. Thank you. Jamila shook inside. She realized she would never be rid of the voices. But as long as Erin remained her priority, perhaps they could coexist. Oftentimes, superstitions are harmless practices. Crossing your fingers, throwing salt over your shoulder, 
opening an umbrella indoors. Sometimes, however, it involves harm, even death, for the lucky talisman. How many rabbits have been killed for their feet? How many black cats have been abandoned or euthanized because of the shade of their fur? Such is the case for trees at Murray State University. Since the shoe tradition started in the 1960s, two trees have already died, one from lightning and the other from disease. Who knows how long their third tree will last? It makes us wonder, is good luck for us worth harming something else? But sometimes, a superstition doesn't have to cause injury. It's the spirit of the talisman that works, not the talisman itself. We make fake rabbit's feet or learn to love black cats. So perhaps, we can also protect the trees. We just have to listen when they say they need help. Thanks for listening to Superstitions. We will be back Wednesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free exclusively on Spotify. Until next time, be wary of the things you cannot explain. Superstitions is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Superstitions was written by Adam De Silva, with writing assistance by Stacey Nemec and Greg Castro, fact-checking by Anya Bailey, and research by Brian Petrus. I'm Alastair Murden. Hold up. 